Good morning, everyone. Uh, Genesis 15, if you have a Bible, uh, jump into Genesis 15 if you can. That's where we're going to be uh, preaching out of this morning. Um, just a wonderful time of worship. Uh, Nancy, thank you so much for being faithful to lead us so, so sweetly. Really, really a precious time. Um, as Mark said, my name is Steve, one of the elders here, and uh, just delighted to share with you this morning um, as we continue in our series. Um, I'll never forget the, the first time I got to preach the Word of God. I was about 20 years old, um, recently saved, uh, recently given my heart to the Lord, and I had a fairly radical salvation testimony to share, which is why I had been invited to share my testimony at a high school um, assembly in South Africa, where I was living at the time. About five or 600 kids and faculty who were gathered there. Uh, my friend Chris, who was volunteering at the high school, uh, doing some uh, sort of ministry into the high school, uh, stood up in front of everyone and he said, uh, this morning my friend Steve is going to share with you how Jesus changed his life. And uh, in South Africa, back in the 90s, you were able to speak like that uh, at public schools. I know that's probably a foreign concept to uh, us now in this nation, but you were able to do that. And so I made my way up onto the stage. And just to give a little bit of context uh, before I share what I preached on, um, most of you here know that I stutter, and uh, it's kind of not a big deal now. I've figured out ways to work around that. But when I was in my 20s, it was a really particularly difficult challenge. Uh, through my teen years, college years, and most of my 20s, um, it was a very severe issue. And um, when I got saved, when I gave my heart to Jesus, a few days later, someone came up to me and shared with me that they felt that God was going to use me to share the gospel to many people. I later came to understand that was what we call a prophetic word. And I didn't really understand how it went down, but I've got to be honest, there was something in my heart that came alive when that uh, promise or, or when that, that statement was made. And uh, the, the, the mistake I made, though, is I assumed how God was going to do it. I assumed that what God wanted me to do was to do my part, and that was to stand up in front of people. And as I stood up in front of people, I assumed that he was miraculously going to hit me with the Holy Spirit, and I was going to be able to speak clearly and eloquently to everyone. And so with, uh, with this promise burning in my heart, I did something that I had never literally never, ever done before. I said yes to an opportunity to speak in front of people. Um, so I came up on stage, and I was given 15 minutes to share my testimony. And uh, my first sermon lasted 45 seconds. I, I stood up there, and I, I wanted to introduce myself, which is the, the important thing to do when you start off. And I said, hello. My, and I froze. I couldn't say another word. Now, Again, just a bit of context, um, I went to speech therapy lessons to try and help me with this. And the thing that you are, you're drummed into by your speech therapist is when you stutter, do everything you can to get started. So it's like a, it's like a, a car that's got a bad battery. You, know, you, you turn the engine over, you turn the engine over, you turn the engine over, and eventually when the engine gets going, you drive the whole day to make sure you don't turn the engine off. Because once you start, you know, you're worried that if you stop, you won't be able to start again. And that's why... There are times when I preach for 45 minutes, because once I get started, I just don't want to stop. But, so, <laughs> so I tried again. I stood up there. I tried again. I was like, hi. My, my. Nothing. And the room was silent. Silent. It was deafening. A couple of giggles here and there, a couple of smirks. 
And eventually, after 45 seconds of trying, I sat down, walked down to my friend and sat down. And that was the first time I ever preached. And this question kind of jumped into my heart at that moment. Will God do what he said he would do? And what part do I play in making his promises become a reality? Will God do what he said he would do? And what part do I play in making sure that his promises become a reality? So as Mark said, we are, this is part four of our preaching series looking at the the faith journey of Abraham, starting in Genesis 12, where where God speaks to Abraham, these incredible promises, promises that Abraham is going to be the father of an amazing great nation. He's going to have a great name and, and that God is going to bless Abraham in order that he can bless others. And the journey continues. We're, we're going to look at, at chapter 15, but it, we're going to continue all the way through to Genesis 22, this, this tumultuous kind of up and down, back and forth faith journey that Abraham is on, eventually reaching this incredible, amazing moment in Genesis 22 where where God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham has now reached this point after much back and forth where he trusts God so significantly that he's willing to do that, believing that God is going to raise his son from the dead. And God at that moment ratifies or, or confirms or seals this oath by declaring over Abraham. He says, I swear, God says, I swear by myself that I will surely bless you. Every single faith journey, whether it's Abraham's or whether it's my faith journey or whether it's your faith journey, starts with God's promises. And we've, we, we've seen a hope over the last three weeks that God's promises are a sure thing. God's, God, we, we've learned from Numbers 23 that God is not a man that he should lie. Isaiah 55, I think it came up this morning you know, during the worship time, that, that, that when God speaks, when God declares things, his words achieve the purpose for which they have been spoken. God doesn't waste words. When God speaks, he also acts. I think Gabriel sums it up best when he, when he speaks to Mary in Luke chapter 1, announcing that, that, that she is going to give birth to, to the Savior of the world. So he says to Mary, no word from God will ever fail. Love that. No word, no promise, no declaration from God will ever fail. But God's promises are one side of the faith journey coin. There's a, there is another side to that, and that is how we respond to God's promises. And hopefully what we've learned over these last few weeks is that God is looking for us to respond with faith. God is wanting us to trust him. God is wanting us to believe him. That's how we've defined faith um, over, over this series. Faith is believing God. Faith is taking God at his word. Uh, what Mary does when, when Gabriel declares that, that incredible promise in Luke 1, Mary says this. He, she says, let it be to me just as you've said. That's a faith response. Lord, may you do in me just as you have declared. I think Paul also does a great job of summing this idea up of, of our response to God's promise. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, he says this, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ Jesus. So that through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So this is what Paul is saying. He's saying every single promise that that God speaks over you and, and me is made true in Jesus Christ. But there is a partnership that there's a part that we have to play. And our part is to declare amen, which means so be it. It's a statement of faith. 
We're saying, yes, Lord, so be it. Let it be so. Just as those promises are fulfilled in Jesus, we want to partner with you by declaring amen to the glory of God. So do you guys see this partnership between God's promise and our response by faith? And that's something of what I want to explore a little bit today, a little bit in more detail, this relationship between God's promises and our faith. And I want to ask and answer the question, the simple question, are God's promises guaranteed? Are God's promises guaranteed? Now, before we look into that, can I just say very quickly, for most of you sitting here who have already given your hearts to Jesus, can I say salvation is not a promise waiting to be fulfilled? Salvation is an already fulfilled promise, and we cannot lose that. So we're not talking about salvation this morning in the sense of, can we lose it, or, 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 or are God's promises guaranteed? We're speaking about the, the things over and above salvation, the plans and purposes that God has for each one of us. We're answering the question that I asked earlier, will God do what he said he would do, and what is my part? Can I trust God? Can I trust myself even? I'm sure you've asked that question, haven't you, in this faith journey? Sometimes the question is, Lord, can I trust you? But sometimes the question is, can I even trust myself? Can I trust myself that I'm going to do my part? What even is my part in this journey of faith? And these are the things that we're going to explore. So are God's promises guaranteed? To which I answer, yes, absolutely, and no, not necessarily. Are God's promises guaranteed? Yes, from God's side, absolutely. We've learned about God's faithfulness. He is faithful, and we're going to look at it again today. We're going to see that God is an incredibly faithful God. God never does not do what he, does, what he says that he will do. But on the other hand, we have to understand that the answer to are God's promises guaranteed from our side is, I have to say, no, not necessarily. Why? Because God is looking for faith. God is looking for us to respond with that, let it be so, Lord. Just like Mary responded to Gabriel. Just like Paul said, we need to respond to God's yes in Jesus with an amen, so be it. Hebrews chapter 6 tells us it is with faith and patience that we inherit the promise. Which got me thinking this week, if we inherit the promise by faith and patience then can we lose or miss out on the promises of God through unbelief and impatience? I'm going to let you simmer and sit on that for the duration of my sermon. And hopefully we're going to look at Genesis 15, 15, which will give some answer to that question and then come back to that. Can we lose God's promises through unbelief and impatience? And Genesis 15 is going to help us answer that. So let's jump in. Genesis 15, chapter 1, starting at chapter 1. After, it starts off after this, so uh, after what has happened in Genesis 14. So, so Abraham has rescued Lot. He's, uh, Lot was captured by, the, the, by this, this, uh, this king, and, and Abraham went out to rescue his cousin uh, uh, Lot, uh, his nephew, sorry, Lot. And um, during that time, uh, Abraham meets this mysterious character called Melchizedek. Uh, we learned about that two weeks ago. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. It's, it's almost when God says these words, it's almost as if suddenly Abraham feels the liberty to kind of really share with God what's on his heart. 
Don't be afraid, Abraham, God says. I am your shield, your very great reward. And it's almost as if Abraham responds, but Lord, I I am afraid. I am afraid that even though you've been so faithful to me, even though you've, you've, you've showered me with blessing and I'm, and I'm so much further down this road than I was when it started and, and you've been so good to me and so with me the whole time, I am afraid, to, if I'm honest, because I'm concerned that the, 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 the great promise that you have declared, the fact that I would have a son, I'm afraid that you're not going to come through for me. It's almost as if Abraham knew God's faithfulness, but there was a stirring in his heart for something more. Do you know what that's like? You know what it's like to, to, to sit under the blessing and favor and goodness of God, but still have something in your heart that says, Lord, there's more. I'm grateful, but there's so much more that you want to do in and through me. And I, I'm sure we all know what that's like. Verse two, Abraham, this is his response. Abraham says, oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate, Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Sometimes when we face delays in God, sometimes when there are pauses in the, in the dealings of God in our life, sometimes we tend to settle for something that's not God's best because we become impatient. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for anything but God's best. And don't be tempted to do that in a time of waiting. But I love, I love God's response. So patient and so, so loving and so kind. Then the word of the Lord came to Abram again. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And God took him outside. I, I get this picture of a father walking outside with his son, uh, almost with his, with his uh, arm draped over Abram's shoulder. And he says to him, he took him outside and he says, look up to the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And look at verse six. Abram believed the Lord. Didn't say Abraham obeyed the Lord. It said Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as, righteous, as, as righteousness. Abraham's faith wasn't perfect. We just saw that in verse 2. God declares this incredible promise, and Abraham responds with doubt. Abraham's faith wasn't perfect, but God's faithfulness is. And that's why God could say of Abraham that he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. God is not looking or judging us as to the quantity or the quality of our faith. He's not concerned how much faith you have or whether your faith is good and perfect. What, what, what God is interested in is the object of your faith. Who do you have faith in? And I love the fact that it, doesn't, it says here, Abraham it doesn't, it doesn't say Abraham obeyed God, but it said Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. That right there, friends, is, a, is the summary statement of the gospel. In Romans chapter 4, thousands of years later, Paul will use Abraham and this, this particular passage as exhibit A for the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. Those of us who trust God are credited the perfection of Jesus to our account. That's the radical truth of the good news of the gospel. It's not what we do, it's who we believe. That's the good news of the gospel. 
And then in verse seven, God reminds Abram of the second part of his promise. So not just the promise of a son, but the promise of a land as well. But Abraham still struggles to believe. Look at verse seven and eight. He says, uh, God also said to Abram, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But then once again, Abraham kind of comes back with, with, this, with this doubt and with this struggle. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? In, in verse 2, essentially what Abraham says is, what about you, Lord? How can I trust you? But in verse 8, Abraham is saying, Lord, what about me? How can I even trust myself? And, and, and I just, I find it so earth-shatteringly amazing that the summary statement of the gospel, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, is slap bang in the middle of these two statements of doubt. Lord, what about you? Lord, what about me? And in the middle is Abraham believed God. And I think what God was saying to me out of this is, is that God is not thrown by our doubts. God is not put off by our doubts. God is not offended by our doubts, but also God doesn't pander to our doubts. God doesn't say, oh, you know what? Doubt all, all you want. Just, just doubt away. It doesn't matter. It's going to be okay. But neither does he say, what? How dare you doubt my faithfulness? God, God, God cares for us in our struggle of doubt and then brings us to a place of maturity. Thomas, in John chapter 20, refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah until he was able to see the nail prints or the nail scars in Jesus' palm. Now, if that was a sinful request, Jesus would never have granted it. But what does Jesus do? He comes to Thomas and he says, Thomas, you doubt. Look, look at the nail prints, nail scars in my hands. Look at the, at the hole in my side. But then he says, all right, Thomas, come on now. Stop, stop doubting. It's time to move on. And that's what God does with us. God doesn't get angry when we doubt. God doesn't get frustrated when we doubt. God, God cares for us and loves us in that place of doubt. But then he says, come on, my son. Come on, my, my girl. Let's move forward. Let's move on. Let's grow. Let's mature together. I love that about God. God settles in verse 9. We're going to read this amazing passage. God settles both questions. Lord, what about you? Lord, what about me? God settles both issues. Let's read verse 9 together. So the Lord said to Abram, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all of these to him. He cut them in two and he arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut. Let's skip down to verse 17 for the sake of time. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch. Can I just pause there and say that really is a, if you studied the original language, that's a reference to the presence of God. We'll find out, if you remember the story you know, of the Israelites coming out of Egypt and, and, and walking towards the promised land, there was a pillar of, of, of smoke that looked like a cloud that followed Israel during the day and, 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 and a fire at night. And it's the same language that is, that is being used here. So this is a reference to the very presence of God walking through the pieces. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. 
And he said to him, to your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the the, the Euphrates. So what God says to Abraham, when he says to him, bring me some animals, right then and there, Abraham knew or had a sense that God was going to cut covenant with him. God was going to make a solemn oath, going going to make a contract with him. But Abraham assumed that he would be a part of this in the sense that he would have to take on part of the responsibilities of ensuring the covenant were to come to pass. I want you to think for a moment, if you uh, uh, took your car to a mechanic, now I'm not very mechanic, in fact, I'm not very, I'm, I'm, I'm not mechanically minded at all. Chris Whiteley fortunately has put me onto a guy that I can trust. So I go in my absolute ignorance to this mechanic and I trust him completely. But before that, I would go to a mechanic and, and say to him, my car needs fixing. And he literally could tell me anything. And I would have to be like, all right, that's what you said. So imagine you're going to a mechanic and, and, and the mechanic says to you, uh, all right, sir, ma'am, to, to fix your gearbox, I'm going to have to charge you $3,500, let's just say for the sake of a number, maybe a little high. Let's say $1,500. I don't know how much stuff costs. $1,500. And uh, you see right there, if you're a mechanic, don't come and sell me any parts. So you arrive at the mechanic, $1,500, and you walk away and you say, great, I'll come pick up the car two days later. And you come back two days later and the mechanic says to you, well, sir, ma'am, Unfortunately, you know, parts, I kind of underestimated, and once I got under the hood, I kind of figured out that there was a lot more to do with the car that I needed to fix. So I know I said $1,500, but it's going to look more like $3,000. And you're you're horrified, and and you unfortunately pay the amount, and, and when you go back to your friends and you tell them the story, they really don't have much sympathy for you. Why? Because you didn't get it in writing. You didn't get the mechanic to to sign on the dotted line and say, this is my pledge. My signature is my pledge that I guarantee that I will not charge you more than $1,500. And this is exactly what is happening here. Abraham lived not in a written culture, but in a storytelling culture. And they didn't sign on the dotted line of a contract, but what they did was they, they acted out the consequences of a solemn covenant or contract if one of the parties were to not uphold their end of the bargain. They cut the animals in two and they placed them either side of each other and, they, and each party would, would walk through the pieces of the animal. And in doing so, they would identify with how the animal was, was cut in half and they would say, they would essentially say, let this happen to me if I don't uphold my end of the bargain. The issue with with covenant is not so much making a covenant. If you look at verse 18, verse 18 says they, on that day, they, God made a covenant with Abraham. The the, the real uh, 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 language speaks of cutting a covenant. Why? Because bloodshed and death was the consequence of falling short of the obligations to fill the covenant. And so with that in mind, God begins to make this covenant with Abraham which was a common way to to seal relationships in those days. But God does two dramatic things that completely blow Abraham's mind. And as we're going to look at it together, we, we see God does something so transformative in cutting covenant with Abraham. The first thing that God does is he comes down by his presence and he walks through the pieces of the animal. 
What he's saying to Abraham is that I am going to take responsibility myself. I'm going to put myself on the line. And this is unheard of, especially for someone like God who holds all the cards. We, we, we read earlier in, in, in chapter 14 that, that God is, this, is God most high, creator of the heaven and the earth. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, don't be afraid. I'm your shield, your very great reward. God had no benefit to, to come down and to, and to party with and to covenant himself with Abraham to that extent because he's the one who holds all the cards. But by his goodness and grace, he comes down and he says, Abraham, if I fail to hold my end of the bargain, may this happen to me. May, may my infiniteness, infinite, in, infinite, infiniteness, <laughs> if there is such a word, may my infinity become finite. May my immutability become mutable. Is that possible? I don't know. You, do you hear what I'm trying to say? May, 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 the, may the magnificence of who I am be reduced to nothing if I don't uphold my end of the bargain. What an incredible thing to do. In, in doing this, he, he's answering Abraham's first challenge in verse 2. Lord, what about you? How can I trust you? God's saying, you can trust me because I'm taking responsibility for my end of the bargain. But the second incredible thing that God does, normally what happens when a covenant is cut, there are two parties to the covenant. And each party would take a turn to walk through the pieces. But if you read this, this account, you'll notice that Abraham is, is, is not sleeping. Abraham is out under the presence of God. And before Abraham can, can, can awaken himself and, and take on his responsibility, God ends the covenant by declaring the promise in verse 18, in verse, in, in verse 18, to your descendants, I give you this land. What is he doing? He's saying this covenant, Abraham, is going to be a one-sided covenant. I'm going to give you all the blessing, but I'm going to take all the risk. I'm going to pay the price even if and when you fall short of your obligation. And that's what happened 2,000 years ago, friends. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus hung on the cross, it says in, 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 in the Gospels that it was in the middle of a day, and suddenly a thick darkness covered the land. And Jesus was on the cross, unfairly accused, but on the cross because of our shortcomings and our shortfall and our failure. And he cries out to the father. He says, Father, why have you cut me off? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you cut me in half like these animals? We failed. Jesus paid the price so that we can have relationship with him. You see, the, the, this, this, this amazing picture, this, this cutting covenant between God and Abraham is a, is a beautiful picture of, of salvation that's available to you and me. And, and most people in this room have made the decision to respond to this invitation that Jesus gives. How? We do one thing. It's not anything that we obey or anything that we do. We don't earn salvation. We simply believed. Verse 6, Abraham believed God, 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. Brittany, one day, believed God, and it was credited to her for righteousness. Steve, one day, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Joy, one day, believed God, and it was credited to her as righteousness. It was nothing that they did. It was nothing that they earned or worked for. They simply put their faith in Jesus. They didn't become different people per se. They still had the same junk at times, although we are becoming better day by day because coming into the image of Jesus, but the moment we said yes to Jesus, we had this righteousness, the perfection, and the holiness of Jesus, which covers us, and therefore enables us to come freely into the presence of the Father, because the Father sees his Son, the perfection of his Son, that is covering our sinfulness and our shortcomings and our failures. But can I say, friends, salvation is just the beginning you see, so often I think so many Christians live short of the, of the fullness of the, of the life God intends for them this side of eternity. When God says you will have life and life abundantly, he's not just talking about one day in heaven. He's speaking about this side of eternity as well. And, and when we say yes to Jesus and receive him as Lord and Savior, we are stepping into this kingdom of God, this eternal life by which we are called to live. It's like a, a, a bridegroom uh, uh, sweeping his bride off, their, off her feet and, and stepping over the threshold as they arrive at their new house. It's a symbolic gesture of our life together is beginning. I, I've shared this story before, so forgive me for those who've heard it, but the first time I took Caden to the science museum, he, he, he literally ran around the, the lobby for 45 minutes. His mind was blown to shreds. This is incredible. Look at those massive banners of dinosaurs and, and the gift store. He was blown away. And then he was good to go home. And I'm like, buddy, this is just the lobby. This is just the entrance. There's a whole museum to explore. And that's what so many Christians are like, friends. Salvation is the entrance into the lobby. But this side of eternity, we've got a whole treasure trove of good gifts, promises that God has for you that are very similar to the promises God had for Abraham. God wants to bless you. God wants you to be a blessing to others. God wants to use your passions and gifts and, and desires to, 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 to give glory to his name, to advance his kingdom. To make his name known. He has good works prepared in advance for you and me to do. And the question we're asking today is simply this. Are those promises guaranteed? How do God's promises become a reality? By, by hard work? I want to say no. Not by hard work. By faith. By trusting God. By trusting God. The promises of God are guaranteed the promises of God become a reality in God's perfect timing when we respond to God's faithfulness with faith. Anyone who knows me knows this is a difficult message for me to preach for this reason. I would much rather stand here and say, because I'm going to be judged by this message, I would much rather stand here and say, we've got these five things to do to inherit the promise of God. That's my personality. I love to do things. I, I almost at times need to do things. And God is breaking me of that. But I can't get away from the reality of what I see in Scripture. How do we walk into the promises of God? By trusting Jesus. By faith. Now that we are in Jesus, can I say this, friends? Those of us who are in Jesus, those of us who have said yes to God, God, we are perfectly positioned in Christ to live a life of faith. 
perfectly positioned and equipped in Jesus to live a life of faith. God has prepared good works for us and, and, and God ensures that, that, that he enables us to live this life of faith, to, to outwork these promises. We live constantly in his presence. We live standing on the, on the reality of his covering righteousness, which not only saves us, but also sustains us. Don't think tomorrow morning when you hopefully come into the, you know, to, to spend time with the Lord that, that you have access into the presence of the Father because you did the right thing by coming to church today. Our righteousness will never match up to the righteousness of Jesus. I would much rather constantly stand on the goodness of God rather than stand on the fact that I've read my Bible and that gives me access into God's presence. It's always by grace. When I struggle with doubt and fear, I remind myself that God is faithful to do all that he said he would do. And at times, God will ask me to do things. Obedience is necessary, but can I say, obedience doesn't earn you a thing. Obedience is simply a reflection of a relationship of love and trust. I love God, and I trust God, so I'm eager to obey God. Not because I'm going to earn something. Not because I'm going to somehow earn a a, a badge of righteousness. No, Jesus is my badge of righteousness. Jesus is the one who, who covers me. So was my second sermon any better than my first? Yes, it was, by about 30 seconds. And my third sermon was about a minute better than my, my second one. It was little by little. Has God ever healed me of stuttering? No, he hasn't. He never promised that he would. I assumed wrong. And can I just say as an aside, I don't believe stuttering is something that necessarily God needs to heal me of because he's used that in a very different way. What part did I play? Well, although I wavered and struggled at times, I learned to trust him. I learned to believe him. And I'm still learning that. Did his promises become a reality right away? No, they didn't. But just like I had to learn to trust God, I also had to learn to be patient. You see, I I was thinking about that that, that this week, the, the reality of it's not just with faith, but it is faith and patience. It's with waiting. And there are the Bible tells us there are incredible benefits to those who wait on the Lord. Psalm 27 says, to those who wait on the Lord, your heart will be encouraged. To those who wait on the Lord, your strength will be renewed. To those who wait on the Lord, Isaiah 64 says, God works on your behalf. That's why sometimes we have to wait for God's promises to come to pass. Because God wants to renew us and strengthen us, and he wants to work on our behalf. Are God's promises guaranteed? Yes. When we respond to his faithfulness with faith. And Jesus has perfectly positioned us to live a life of faith. Perfectly positioned us to live a life of faith. I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes for a moment. Mark, do you mind if I just uh, pray a little bit and then I'll hand it over to you? Is that okay? I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for, for a moment. We've been teaching a lot around this issue of faith since the beginning of the year, in fact, and particularly the, uh, through, through the life journey of faith, uh, uh, the journey of faith that Abraham has over the last four, four weeks. I want to give you 
just a little bit of time, 30 seconds, a minute, just to be real with God. I love the freedom that Abraham, the example that Abraham gives us to be honest and real with God. Maybe some of you here are, are like, Lord, are you, are you really going to do what you said you, you would do? Some of you here might be like, Lord, what, what about me? I, I know that I'm just not sure I've got the capacity to live by faith and to be patient. Can I ask you just to take a moment? Just to spend, lift up your th- thoughts, your heart to your heavenly Father. Just to be real with them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just as you stay in that place, I love that picture of the father putting his arm, as it were, across Abraham's shoulders and saying, my son, look up into the stars. This is what I have for you. And I pray, Father God, even this morning you would do that with your precious people here. Lord, may we not be a people who will settle for anything less when you want to give us so much more. May we not be those, Lord God, who would, who would take the scraps when you are preparing for us an entire banquet. Father, I pray for your equipping and enabling even now, your supernatural enabling, even now, to help us to be those men and women who trust you. I pray that would be what would define this church, a church that trusts the faithful Father. Holy Spirit, would you strengthen us even now? Strengthen us even now, Lord, by your presence. Just as you continue to remain in this place, and before I call a markup, I just want to ask very quickly, just as every eye is closed, if you wouldn't mind, if, there are, is, if there's anyone here who has never received the incredible free gift from the Father, the gift of his Son, Jesus. I think this picture in, we find in Genesis 15 is such a profound picture of how Jesus God pays the price for our shortcomings by the sacrifice of his son on the cross. And our response, God's invitation to us is not to do something to earn it, to do something in order to achieve it, but to simply believe, to simply take the, the trust that we put in our own works or the trust that we put in the things in, uh, that we put in of things in the world and to put our trust and faith in Jesus. If that's you today and you're saying, Steve, I I want to know my heavenly father. I want to come into relationship with him. It's simply by believing Jesus, receiving his gift. I'd love to pray for you this morning. If that's you, can you just quickly slip up your hand? Just let me know that you are wanting to pray that prayer. It would be an incredible privilege to just lead you in that prayer so that you can receive Jesus into your heart this morning. Anyone? Father, thank you for the incredible gift of your son, Jesus. You are so amazing, Lord. Thank you that we are saved by grace 
the free gift and act of, of your sacrifice by grace through faith so that none of us can boast in what you have done for us. Father, thank you for the journey that each and every one of us are on. Thank you, Lord God, that you are faithful to fulfill your promise. I pray, Lord God, for your courage and your strength upon every single one of us today, that we would not waver in faith. We would not give up, Lord God, believing. Remind us today, Lord, even in our weakness, even in our struggles, even in our shortcomings, remind us today, Lord God, that we are perfectly positioned in you, Jesus, to live this life of faith and trust in you. We love you. We worship you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark.